Hey, today's a special day because um, it's our seven-year anniversary as a church, in case you didn't know or see the cakes out there. It's good. And uh, about eight years ago, beginning of June, Shara and I were on vacation out of nowhere. I felt the Lord kind of put in my heart to plant a church like this. And honestly, was like, eh, I'm not going to do that. It sounds like a lot of work. And uh, after a couple of months, didn't feel the Lord speak to me. And one day I was kind of mad and said, Lord, why aren't you talking to me? And he immediately spoke back and said, because you didn't do the thing I told you to do last. And I was like, okay. And so uh, after about uh, six months of wrestling with the Lord, we decided, all right, we're going to sell our house and jump out here and do this. And then a, it took about a year to get things going. And on June 3rd, 2012, we officially started our church, which was 2,554 days ago. I don't know what you were doing 2,500 days ago. I know what you were doing. And uh, we got a picture. Uh, this, so this is a Shari, Christopher, Kayla. Christopher's playing bass today. That guy on the right, I'm not sure who that handsome dude is. And then we took another picture on the stairs that, that I, I took. Eric and Amanda were there as well, and Sammy. And so, man, look how young we were. We were just kids back then. Um, so we were at San Pedro Park, which is right down the, it's on, actually on Ashby, about a mile down the road, and there were seven of us, and um, we had $600, and seven of us, we were in the park, and all we, basically we just prayed, Lord, whatever you're doing, we just want to bless that. We don't want to do something ask you to bless it. We want to jump on your bandwagon, and for the first year, kind of acted like we were a church without a building or a budget, and we're kind of, one week we'd be at a park, another week we'd be at a restaurant, when, when I think the Staffels moved downtown into an apartment, we would meet at their apartment. We had like 12 people, I think, in their apartment for Easter Sunday. It was madness. I mean, the parking situation was crazy. And so um, just over the year, I mean, so I mean, I don't know if any of us thought we'd be here seven years later, um, but here we are seven years later. So thanks for being here. Um, I'm excited that we're still going. It's pretty cool. And everyone who was there in that picture is here today. So it's great. So um, most church planners, they tell you, church, they tell church planners, hey, don't get too close to the original people because they're not going to be around after a year. So seven years late, I'm still looking for them to leave. <laughs> don't take that as your opportunity, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. So love, deeply love. And um, we started with family, like the New Testament says brother and sister. And so that was like baked in to day one. We didn't have a building or money or anything but we had each other in the Lord and food. And so that's kind of where our culture comes from, is from that. So seven years, I'm just thanking God for everything. And uh, most Sundays were packed here. Um, we are still looking for a facility. We met a couple of weeks ago with uh, some owners of a property close by. That's great. Meeting went well. And we are um, trying to get our summer schedules to combine to where we can talk about, hey, this is what we need, because it's a huge place. We don't need all of it. And so we got some, um, I guess, um, I won't say negotiating, but like, hey, this is kind of, can we do this? And are you, are you okay with just leasing part of it to us? So we've, uh, it's promising. I don't want to tell you where it is. It's close by. It's awesome, because um, if it doesn't work out, I don't want to get your hopes up. But what I will say is there's a woman's bathroom, and it has six stalls. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so great. All the, all the pregnant women were like, yes. <laughs> and there's a men's bathroom that has six stalls. So like, so great. <laughs> I don't care what else, it doesn't matter what everything else looks like. I just know there's like, 
at least 12 opportunities to go to the bathroom. So if you're new, we're sorry about the one bathroom. It's just, but you came to church in a warehouse, so it's really your fault. It's not our fault. Let's go. All right. So as things progress, we'll, we'll keep sharing. Keep praying. Um, we have to be in a spot January, whatever, January 5th or whatever the first Sunday of January is, 2020. We have to. So my goal is that uh, the Lord would have us in a new place to start off the new decade in 2020, at least, at the very latest, or sooner. I don't know. I'd be up for moving sooner, but uh, keep praying with us. Um, big, big time in the life of our church. We're going to finish um, our study on the resurrection because today is the last Easter Sunday. Isn't it crazy that Easter was seven weeks ago? Easter Sunday, resurrection, was seven weeks ago? You were eating peeps seven weeks ago. I don't know why you were eating peeps, but some of you were eating peeps seven weeks ago. Uh, when I was in ministry school, I was probably 19, a buddy of mine, we would, um, every Friday we would do this thing. I mean, life was so good. We would get in his truck, and we would go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And that was our Friday night ritual. It was, before we, it was before we knew they didn't serve real food. You'll get that later when you're actually eating food. And so we're, we would, every Friday, we'd drive in his truck with our meal in a bag, and uh, thinking, man, life is so good. We're in this beat-up truck with no air conditioning, driving down like the packed streets of Wichita Falls, eating quarter pounders. Like this is great. And uh, so this is this Friday night, and my friend he he gets done with his meal. I use the word meal loosely because McDonald's, <laughs> and he puts his meal, the uh, the trash in a bag, and then rolls down the window and just throws the McDonald's bag out the window and kind of laughs. And uh, I was like, bro. You can't do that. And he said, now, part of this is like we're 18 or 19, okay? But he said, Drew, Jesus is going to come back and blow this place up and take us all to heaven. We don't, we don't have to recycle. <laughs> that was his thing. And I was like, I don't know if that's the story, buddy. <laughs> like, that's not. And what's scary is like, I would think, like, he loved Jesus more than I loved Jesus. And he was like a better student than I was. And he was we're studying to be pastors, and he's like, just throw trash out the window because Jesus is blowing up the earth, and we're all evacuating this joint and going to heaven forever. And that was his eschatology. That was his, uh, how he thought the world was going to end. And so, um, now I'm not going to preach on global warming or recycling, but um, I want to ask, where does that idea come from? And I don't know if that's your idea or if you've heard of people that had this idea that one day Jesus is going to come back, blow this place up, and we're all going to go into the clouds for 10,000 years and sing. Um, I think that part of that comes from believing that God's only goal and the only reason why he sent Jesus to die on the cross was to save us so that we could get into heaven after we die. Right, uh, Dallas Willard, love Willard, great, great dude. One of my favorite quotes, we'll put this on the screen, is he says, uh, in response to this, he says, the gospel is not only that God wants to get you into heaven when you die, which is true. The full gospel is that God wants to get you into heaven before you die. Not just after you die. We call that, in, that, in the church business, we call it fire insurance. People don't want to go to hell. You know, you say, hell's hot, forever's a long time. You want to pray this prayer? It's like, Fire insurance. Yeah, that's it, right? And, and many times pre preachers and pastors and churches perpetuate that half, we call it the half gospel, which is God wants to get you in heaven after you die. 
And then we, 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 we leave sight, well, what about after that prayer? What about like now? Does God care about heaven now? Um, you know, like, Nate, like there's always a mass shooting or something. Doesn't God want heaven in those communities and in those situations? Right? Uh, this is the Lord's Prayer. Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What? Your kingdom. <laughs> like here. Like get that stuff here because we need it, right? And so that's kind of the full gospel is that God is not only concerned with you retiring to the clouds. Okay? Now we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's, the, the story is way bigger, and the good news is way bigger, and the, and the reality of the resurrection is way bigger than just fire insurance, okay? So uh, we're going to talk about that. Now, before we, I, I like culture because sometimes culture reflects back to the church where we get confused. Um, so like, like my, my parents never let me watch The Simpsons because um, like they, you know, make fun of Christian Ned Flanders, but like we, we own Ned Flanders. Like, like we're responsible for that character because we have done you know, like, that's on us, okay? So sometimes culture will tell us, hey, your, your views are goofy. Um, I don't know if you know of these cartoons, Farside. Here's like this one. This is great. This, sorry, it's blurry. But this is a Farside cartoon, right? If you can't read it, uh, it's, a, it's a guy on a cloud board, and he says, I wish I'd brought a magazine, right? So this is like what culture thinks we believe, is that you're just going to go on the cloud, it's going to be boring. There's like naked baby angels playing harps, and then like what, right? There's another one. This is this is this one. Jake liked this one. There's a uh, fork in the road. Heavens to the left, fun people to the right. Right. Um, our ideas on heaven, like like typically, don't involve like joy or fun or delight or pleasure. It involves like being in a being in a choir for the rest of all time. Right. Um, now there is like joy to be praising God and singing. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, but I think there's more than that. And I think we all. You know, for, I remember as a kid growing up in church sing, singing. Um, when we've been there 10,000 years, I'm like, well, that's a long time to be singing. As a kid, like as kids, we, under, like, we just intuitively understand there has to be more than just being a choir, okay? So I want to talk about that a little bit as we um, finish um, this topic on resurrection. We've been looking at Jesus' resurrection appearances, so today's going to be like, well, what does resurrection mean for you and me? It's kind of the big idea. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians fitting, page 961. And uh, 1 Corinthians is a bit of a white paper or, or thesis on the resurrection. Now, there's a lot of chapters we could go to. Uh, we could talk about Jesus. Um, I think it's in Matthew 24 or 25, the Olivet Discourse you should read. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 has resurrection underpinning everything, especially at the end of 2 Corinthians 4. First um, uh, John talks about this, obviously Thessalonians. Like, there's a lot of chapters. You can even go back to Daniel, right? But... Um, if you're looking for one chapter in the New Testament that would be the most comprehensive, it would be 1 Corinthians 15. And it's a doozy of a chapter. Um, I have honestly not been looking forward to preaching this. Uh, I, I love preaching and I love studying. I'm just like, how do I do this justice in like 30 minutes or two hours? I don't know how to, how to like in 30 minutes like answer questions. So if at the end of our time you have more questions, that's probably a success. You should be, I want to get you thinking about um, what does resurrection with Christ look like, okay? And, um, and maybe that's a starting point, okay? So um, before we uh, jump, I, I want to show you the outline, okay? The, here's basically, if you were to condense 1 Corinthians 15, okay, let's put, there you go. Here's basically Paul's outline, okay? 
because we're going we're gonna to fly through some of this, is really the, um, the first 11 verses, um, he basically defines what the gospel is. We'll do that briefly. Okay? And then he gets into, in light of the gospel, um, there's the resurrection of the dead. So he, he answers to them in verses 12 to 34, what happens when you die? So if you want, what happens when you die? Or what happens, like, what, what, people who are dead right now, what's going on? Those verses, okay? Then it, then it adds, like, well, what do the bodies look like? Okay, so he starts to address number three in verses 35 to 49, what the resurrection body looks like. That's where we're going to camp out, okay, the third part. We're going to camp out there today. And then he ends um, with, like, what we should do now. Okay, so that's 1 Corinthians 15. You could take a picture of that. You could honestly spend, like, two months preaching just this outline, and we've got, you got to go to lunch, so we've got a short time. Um, so let's, I'm gonna, let's start in verse, um, here, I'm, let's start in verse 3, okay? Because this is, this is so great, and um, everything else is a result of what he says here. 15, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians, not second. He says, I, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and here's Here's, here's the gospel right here, the definition. If you ever wondered what's the definition of the gospel, this is it. One, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Two, that he was buried. Three, that he was raised from the, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And four, that he appeared to Cephas in the 12. And he goes on to, for, to some more of those resurrection appearances. So um, the, he's basically de- defining what the gospel is. So we would say, I'd add one on the beginning and the end of this, is that the gospel is, here it is, the life, because of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus. Went to the Hebrew 5, you get it? Life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Because of those five things, we have hope. Not because of our religious activity, not because of our church attendance, not because of our good works, but because of a first importance. This is the gospel message. Life, Jesus, death of Jesus, burial, resurrection, ascension. And, you, and then you could, his soon return, right? So that's the gospel. Now, he's going to get into the realities of that, which is verse um, 12. Jump to verse 12. Actually, go to verse 13 and 14. We'll throw this on the screen too. He says, uh, verse 12, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. So this is, I mean, let this statement sink in because Paul, where we get a lot of our theology from, Pauline theology, we would say, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, says, if Christ wasn't raised, we're all wasting our time. Because there are people who are like, ah, oh, he wasn't raised. It was a metaphor. St. Paul does not hold to that interpretation of the resurrection. Like he, he said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So this is um, uh, Paul right here is, is saying the, the resurrection of Christ has these massive ramifications to your life today. And he, is, um, he begins this argument of tying and linking Christ's resurrection with our eventual resurrection, okay? Now, uh, just two verses to, like, back this up in, in other parts of the Scriptures. is Colossians 1, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 
uh, Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. There's the ascension. You're seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, second coming, you also will appear with him. So it's pretty incredible how those, um, I call them the ingredients of the gospel, or even mentioned here. But you see, he's, he's linking um, raised with Christ, you will also appear with him. He's linking Christ's resurrection to ours. And then uh, John, the, uh, the apostle of love, the closest disciple to Jesus, in 1 John 3, said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears... This is great. Think about this one. We shall be like him. What does that mean? Because we shall see him as he is. Okay. Now, if you, because 1 Corinthians 15 has 58 verses, we're going we're gonna, to uh, speed through just for the sake of time. I want you to jump to verse 37, if you're following along. And here Paul is beginning, he's starting to use this very important analogy of seed and harvest. He says in verse 37, um, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So um, he's starting to get into this analogy of, well, what is our bodies going to look like when, when, like when Jesus comes back and when heaven invades earth and when there's a new heavens and a new earth. What is that? He starts to get into um, some of the specifics that might, might actually either help us or be a stumbling block. So um, he talks about uh, Christ, actually in verses 20 to 34, I got ahead of myself. He's emphasizing the point that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was the appetizer. It was kind of the, the tithe, the first fruit of this whole resurrection story, okay? And then he gets into this seed and sowing in that the plant looks nothing like the seed, okay? Now, verse, uh, okay, here's verses 42, 43. This is where we're going to start camping out. You can put your, get your camp chair out. Verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of dead. What is sown, I want you to see the contrast here. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Um, what is sown in weakness is raised in power. So here Paul begins to, to, to really, this is called the blessed hope. This is the, the hope of Christians is that like our life right now is a shadow of what our life will be like. And if some of you are, are in like wheelchairs or have mobility issues and like your health is, has turned on you or whatever, um, and, and this is the good news of Jesus Christ, is that in the next life, when Jesus comes back and creation is fully restored, like this is a, thank God, a, a seed, <laughs> right? Some of you look awesome, like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> for those of us who have weaker, frail, frail bodies, like this is good news for us, okay? Now, um, here, here's an analogy that might help you. Um, you know when someone is uh, in their old age and they're really, really sick? And people say, man, they look like a shell of themselves, right? Okay. Right now, at our best, we are a shell of what will come. We are a shadow of the resurrection that will come. This is the good news, right? Now, I'm most excited about verses 
verse 49. This is, this, is, this is why you got out of bed, I promise you. Okay, this is so good. We're going to, those of you who have like an inclination to be a nerd, you're going to love this. You're welcome. I'm, all right. So I want to, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to mess with your head for a little bit because there's some English words that aren't helpful to us. Um, Paul here in verse 40, yeah, we got up here. He says, um, what is sown, uh, it is sown a, in the word there is natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, okay, we're going to go down a rabbit hole. Trust me, okay? When we come out of the rabbit hole, this is all going to make sense. You're going to be delighted. Um, the problem with this is uh, some people, not everybody, some people take this and they take the words that are translated into the English word, uh, natural and spiritual, and they start to have visions of like um, uh, dismembered, disembodied, or ghosts. Like, oh, in heaven we're just kind of ghosts and we're like spirits who float about. And now if that's not you, you're like, what? That's weird. But the, 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 there's some like crazy theology out there that's like, uh, well, when we get to heaven, uh, we're just going to be like these like vapors or whatever. And, and, and because we as Americans and, and Westerners, we get focused on these two words, natural and spiritual, as if spiritual is against like natural material. And because we're Westerners and we love visual things and we're really concerned with how things are made, we're, um, when, we're, when we read this, the questions we have are, well, what does the resurrection body look like? You know, yep. Even, this was like Thomas. We, we talked about Thomas. He's like, he couldn't understand the resurrection. And he's like, unless I could see and touch. And, and even the early disciples had problems. Um, I mean, Jesus on the road of, of Emmaus, and they don't recognize him. Jesus in a body. And then he, he like apparently walks through a locked door, but then has to eat to prove he's not a ghost. So, so this, maybe this doesn't mean anything to you, but this, there's been all these like weird uh, theologies around this. So I, I want to show you just a little bit of what the Greek means here. And it is so, so fascinating. Um, let's go to the next slide here. I think, uh, yeah, here we go. Okay, so in English we read this, and again, trust me, um, on, the, on the trail here, I promise it means something. Um, we get in this, this uh, dichotomy of natural versus spiritual, but I think a better English word would be uh, what I put down there, present versus future body, okay? Because we're not, natural and spiritual tends to um, relegate us to the materials instead of the state, okay? Present versus body. Now, here's the Greek word used for natural body. I'm going to try to pronounce it right. Sukikos, okay? So when Paul in that text says, what is sown is the natural body, this is the Greek word he uses, sukikos. And it, we translate it in to be natural. But the, the, um, the meaning in the Greek of sukikos means literally to be governed by breath. Okay? Um, because uh, the Greeks viewed it as, um, as the soul. Uh, you, you might even see that sukikos, sukikos, sukikos looks a lot like, um, a little bit like psychology, right? But we read into that physics, okay? But so this is the, so remember, Sukikos means governed by what? Breath. Okay, now, next word is spiritual. The Greek word for this is 
pneumaticos. I'm butchering it, but it's basically pneumaticos. What does, what is pneumaticos, pneumaticos, what does that sound like, pneumaticos? Pneumatic? Anyone with like a mechanical, or like pneumatic, right? What does, uh, the, what is, what's the meaning here? Yeah, it means, so when Paul says spiritual, he means not a ghost, but one who is filled with and governed by the Spirit of God, or I might say the breath of God, right? So you have these two, let's put them side by side. You have these two, um, where our earthly body right now, Sukikos, is governed by the breath of man. Okay? Our, our resurrected body, the body like Jesus has, is pneumaticos. It is governed by the Spirit of God. And so this is the dichotomy that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. And elsewhere, when he talks, I think it's in, I'm sorry if I am misremembering, but I think it's in Romans when he talks about um, uh, the Spirit and the flesh are at war against each other and the things he wants to do he can't do and the things he wants to do, what he doesn't want to do he does. And he, he talks about the flesh being at war. But this is what he's talking about, is that we, we're right now mostly, um, often, our default is I wake up every morning in Sukikos mode. Like, and I have to pray, and I'm, I'm saved, but I have to, like, rededicate my, my, I have to reorient to the Lord and ask to be led by the Spirit, because I'm not always living in the realm of pneumaticos. Now, this, if this still looks crazy, which it does, it, here's where it gets really cool. Go to the next slide. Okay, both those words, sukikos and pneumaticos, this is all you need to know, is they end in these last four letters, right? Ikos. Next time you read Greek, and you see a word that ends with I-K-O-S, here's what you need to know. It is not referring to the material something's made of. This is so great. I hope you're as enthused about it as I am. It describes the power and energy that animates them. That's what ekos means. When you see a word in the Greek that ends in I-K-O-S, it's not referring to material. It's referring to thrust. Okay. It would be like saying... Here's a picture of boats, two boats. Is that a fiberglass boat or a wooden boat? That's to be asking a material question. But when you see ECOS, I-K-O-S, it asks a different question. ECOS does not refer to fiberglass or material. I don't know if you see where this is going. Next one. It refers to, is it a steamboat or a sailboat? You see the difference? If I say, is that a sailboat? I'm asking what's powering the boat. If I say, is that a motorboat? Or is that a steamboat? I'm asking, what is powering the boat, the vessel? I'm not asking what it's made of. And this is where most of us Christians get bogged down in the resurrection. is because we want to know, like, well, is it like a 30-year-old body, like, on, like, whey protein? Or, like, can I walk through a door? And that's, like, the wrong question. That's a great question. The wrong question. The right question is, what are you motivated by? You're animated by the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of man. Right now, if I if for those uh, like uh, maybe if you're an app developer or if you understand technology or, or the digital world on any level, maybe this will make sense to you. Um, when <laughs> I used to have a PC and uh, and then I got an Apple because I was getting all these viruses on my PC and I got an Apple because uh, like the there's no the viruses didn't work on the Apple right. And so if you have an Android or an iPhone, it's the same thing. Like like. The software for Android is not compatible with the software of iPhone. And like, gosh, if you're on a group text with mixed phones, it's, it's like hell, right? Because you, like, 
It is. You know it. If you've ever been on a group text with someone on Android, you got an iPhone, you know what I'm talking about, right? But here's the deal. Um, when we get the new hardware of pneumaticos, the hardware, the physical thing, okay? This is so great. The software of sin and sickness and death and anxiety and worry and depression is not compatible. That software of the earth is not compatible with the hardware of heaven, if that makes sense. And me, it's like Android and iPhone. <laughs> or if you're, you can flip it if you want, I don't care. It's your phone, right? But you get that. That's, that, that's why the scriptures teach that, that, that there is no death, there is no sin, there is no uh, sickness, there is no sadness in heaven. It's because the software of what's messed up down here, the software that creates mass shootings, the software that creates abuse, the software that creates um, inequalities and racial division and economic division and all that nonsense, the, the software that we see on the news is not compatible with pneumaticos. It's not compatible with the resurrected life and body we will be given, okay? Now, if you're following all of that, you're probably asking, why does it matter what type of hardware we get? Like, why, why does it matter in the afterlife if we get hardware that's not compatible with sin or whatever? The good news, this is so it's great, is because God has work for us to do. Now, some of you like hate work and you think work's a curse. <laughs> but if you, know, if you know Genesis 1, 2, and 3, 1 Corinthians 15 echoes new creation. And if you know the story of Genesis closely, you know that work was created before the fall of man, not after. Work is not a curse. It's that it's laborious. That's why it's a curse. Now we sweat. That, the fact that we sweat is the curse, not the fact that we um, have to work is the curse. Just like children are not a curse, but um, sometimes it can be a pain, right? Parents do not say amen. <laughs> you get that. It's because of the fall. Now, let's jump Straight to, why does it matter? Okay, here we go. This is uh, N.T. Wright. Um, if this is at all like messing with you and you need to know more, I want to recommend two books. Sorry, Kayla, I'm out of order. There's two books that you, you should read. The first one is called Garden City by John Mark Comer. It's the easiest book to read. And he, it's a book on what God begins in the, in the garden. Genesis opens with a garden and Revelation ends with a city. And it's an incredible look at how God has designed humans to work and to rest so that we take gardens and turn them into cities that exist for human flourishing. It's an amazing, like, high, it's super easy to read. Like, you could read it in a couple of days. Um, Garden City, uh, I think you should read that book this summer. It is fascinating. It'll mess with, you, some of you might even change jobs over this, okay? Like, it is a great book. Now, the next book is called Surprised by Hope by Bishop N.T. Wright. Um, this one you need a stip cup, of, cup, of, cup of coffee for. Um, I'm reading it right now, and um, it's about, I think the subtitle is like Heaven, Hell, and Redefining the Mission of the Church, whatever. Um, there's like a chapter on purgatory and hell, and it is, is an incredible. Um, and, and what Bishop Wright does, I mean, it's like deep, okay? So it's not for like the faint of heart. Like this is a, it's basically a textbook. Um, it's like nine bucks on Amazon. But what, what, what Bishop Wright does is he looks at um, 
this topic we're talking about. And he says, what does the Old Testament say? What does the New Testament actually say? What does the early church believe? Where have Westerners messed it up? And how can the truth of the Old and New Testament regarding resurrection, heaven and hell, the new creation, all that, be re-emphasized for today? That's that book. You need a lot of strong coffee to read it, though. So if any of this is like, you're messing with me, and I don't know what I think about this, but I want to figure it out, I would start there. All right. N.T. Wright, let me read that. This is so, I can't say it better, so I'm just going to read him, if, if you'll allow me to. I got the mic, so I'm going to do it. He says, why will we be given new bodies? According to the early Christians, the purpose of this new body will be to rule wisely over God's new world, new heaven and new earth, joined together. Forget those images about lounging around playing harps. There will be work to do, and we shall relish doing it. All the skills and talents we have put to God's service in this present life, and perhaps to the interest and liking we gave up because they conflicted with our vocation, will be enhanced and ennobled and given back to us to be exercised to his glory. This is perhaps the most mysterious and least explored aspect of the resurrection life. But there are several promises in the New Testament about God's people reigning, and these cannot just be empty words. So great. I love, keep this up here, I love the fact that he highlights in the new heavens and new earth, there will be work for us to do, and we will love it. Uh, someone asked me one time over at lunch, maybe a year ago, they said, Drew, when, you, know, you know Jesus is omnipresent, right? I'm like, yeah, omnipresent means he can be everywhere at all times, right? He's like, so when you get to heaven, uh, you don't have to share Jesus. I'm like, true, he's omnipresent, right? He goes, well, what are you going to do with him? And I was like, no one's ever asked me that. And I thought about it, and I thought about the things I love to do. I love to make things all day long. I walk into Home Depot. It's the greatest thing. The smell of sawdust and tools. Shari yawns. <laughs> I love it. I come alive. I love to build things and make things. And so at my answer to this question was, I want to build something with Jesus. I want to be his apprentice. I want to see him take a raw piece of land and design a house and orient it in the right and use the best materials. And, and, and it would be fascinating to spend however long it is to be with Jesus and, and to help him build something, and it would be perfect. Best materials, every nail and screw would be perfectly placed, perfectly recessed. It'd be incredible. I would love to do that. I asked, uh, I, man, I asked someone else this question, and they said um, they'd love to snowboard with Jesus. I was like, well, <laughs> mine's holier than yours, but, you know, you'd have. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to snowboard with him, too. I don't know how. But that might be a great question for you. What's that like if you, could, if you didn't have to go clock in somewhere and you could go somewhere for a year? And uh, John Mark Comer says, you can't say, when you, I'm going to go, go lay by a pole. After you do that, because you do that for a year, you get bored. After you've like rested up and you're like, okay, I want to do something. And you had a blank check and you had a forever timeline. What's that thing you would want to do instinctively, right? Um, maybe that's a clue at these deeper interests and likings that we've given up because of our vocation and our earthly responsibilities. 
what if heaven and the new earth, what if those are hints? I mean, even like the scriptures say, God's placed eternity in our hearts. But what if those are hints to a greater purpose that you will have? And you'll need new hardware. You'll need to upgrade from the Android to the iPhone for this task. You'll have to do it. Okay? Here, here's, what, here's what Comer says on this, and, and we're closing. The reward for work well done in this age isn't a mansion and a Maserati in heaven as if the best God can do is acquiesce to capitalism's perversion of the American dream. It's more work, and more, more work and more responsibility in God's new world. Come on. That's so great. Now, this whole chapter is about life after death and resurrection. And at first, it confused me why the last verse of chapter 15, verse 58, is be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. It's like, wait a minute, this verse doesn't seem to fit because the other like 57 verses are about what happens to your body after you die. But if you understand resurrection to be not retirement in the sky on a cloud, but as getting to be God's partner in a new heaven, in a new earth, where there is a place for flourishing, for peace, where God is worshiped and glorified, where there is no sin, sickness, death, then it would totally make sense why he'd close the letter saying, your work now matters. Because there are some people who are like, I, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm not, I'm not giving my best here. I'm waiting for the, I'm going to throw the McDonald's bag out the window. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Be steadfast, be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So good. The question isn't, is it okay to throw a McDonald's bag out the window? Or what good is recycling? Or will you go to heaven or hell when you die? The better question as Bishop Wright says, is are you going to worship the creator God and discover what it means to become fully and gloriously human, reflecting his powerful, healing, transformative love into the world? Or are you going to worship the world as it is, boosting your corruptible humanness by gaining power or pleasure from forces within the world by merely contributing to your own dehumanization and the further corruption of the world itself. In light of what we see on the news almost every day now, what if Christians started living like the first paragraph and stopped living where we contributed to the dehumanization and the further corruption of the world? What if we lived in total worship of the creator God and we, we discovered how God wants us to be human, how God wants us to love, how God wants us to care for the earth and for the people around us and probably not eat McDonald's. <laughs> what would it look like to have resurrection here and also have resurrection in the afterlife? And I guarantee you, you're not going to want to bring a magazine. It's going to be awesome, right? Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for the season of Easter, for these seven weeks of getting to 
ponder what the resurrection means. And we're so grateful that it doesn't stop in the garden with Mary. And that the resurrection didn't stop on the road to Emmaus. Lord, I'm so grateful that your resurrection is my resurrection too. It is our resurrection. And that there is hope after this life. And Lord, we, we need help navigating this life right now with all of the uh, corruption and the pain and the death and the brokenness of the world that surrounds us on a minute-by-minute basis. How our, our minds and our souls and our bodies are constantly exposed to the trauma of others or our own trauma. God, we need resurrection now. We need pneumaticos now. We need to be governed more by your breath and less by our breath. And we just invite you, God, as we enter the season of the summer to open our minds and our spirits to stop thinking about, is it a wooden boat or is it a fiberglass boat, but is it a sailboat? Is it a steam-powered oil? Like, God, we need your power to be the wind in our sails, to be the fire in our bones. Lord, as we await Pentecost Sunday next week, Holy Spirit, we say, Come. We wait on you. We, we prepare for you. We ask for more of your living water and your power. Jesus, we just know, apart from you, we can't do anything. And we desire to abide deeply in you. But for those here who um, maybe are finishing up the school year, finishing up the season, I think most of us in some way, shape, or form are weary in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls, in our spirits, in our feelings. Some of us are even numb and worn out. God, we look to you. And we ask for more of your Holy Spirit, more of your resurrection power to come and be in us, to be poured out over us, to well up inside of us. We need you, Jesus. Come and meet us here today.